All right. So uh, every summer here, or well, for the past few summers, we've uh, gone to the Psalms. We finished up in 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in Psalm 37. Um, so before we dive into that, um, I have to ask you a question. Have you ever been tempted to be envious of an unbeliever when the unbeliever gets something that you want? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been worried about an unbeliever, worried about the evilness in this world, and worried that it's going to come in and, and hurt you and cause pain and uh, it's something we all as Christians are tempted to worry about, something we're tempted to be envious of. You see, this world is filled with wicked people. We know that because we too were once wicked people. This world is filled with them. Maybe it's a boss who doesn't have your best interests at heart. Or maybe it's a coworker who decides they're going to cheat and lie and throw you under the bus every way they can to get ahead. Or maybe it's someone in leadership. Maybe it's someone in a church you've went to. Maybe it's someone in our country who you, or another country that you believe is evil. And you're thinking, why God? Why would you let this person have all of these things? Why have you not brought your wrath down on this person? And why am I struggling when these people who do evil are doing so well? Well, this is the thing that David's going to warn us about in this text this morning. See, Psalm 37 is not your typical psalm. It is written to man instead of God. It will be considered wisdom literature or an instructional poem. The breakdown of this, this is a very basic breakdown. If you are, uh, were here this morning, there's a lot more detail you could go into this breakdown. But I'm going to give you three main breakdowns of this text. Verses 1 and 2 would act like an overview of the entire chapter. It actually gives us our main theme Right off the bat, verses 3 through 11 would read as ways to battle or combat or maybe even fight uh, these temptations to envy or fear the lost. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And then verses 12 through 40 give us a contrast of what's going to happen to the wicked and what's going to happen to the righteous. And they include some of David's own testimonies on the subject. So let's look at the text together. Verses 1 and 2, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. This is the main point of this psalm, that we are not supposed to focus on the wicked and their success, but we do this all the time. You know how I know we do this all the time? Because I follow most of you guys on social media. All right, and I see the posts. I post them myself sometimes. There's a lot of stress over what's happening in this world. And then when we think about these things that are happening in the world, we look at our own lives and think, well, how come this is happening to them, but all this evil is happening to me? But I go to church every Sunday. I pay my tithe. I do these things. But there's evil happening to me. Why is this happening? But you see, to quote... Uh, uh, my favorite pastor, I'm kidding, uh, Joel Osteen, I'm just kidding. These lost, they're living their best life now. These wicked people, they're living their best life now. Please mark that from the record when I said favorite pastor. I don't want that getting out there. It's Jared Gibson, obviously. But so they're living their best life for the present. 
And we know that's not how we're to live our lives. The present is temporary. It's temporary. This is going to fade. It says they fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. These people who are doing wrong to you, these people who are getting all the things that you want, they have no hope. They have no hope except for these things. But you do have hope. If you are a believer, you have hope. So how can we fight this temptation to fret and envy? Now, I'm going to let you know right now, give you a fair heads up. I'm not going to be exegeting all 40 uh, uh, verses in this. I promise we'd be here till well past lunch. So we're going to spend most of our time in 3 through 11, but we'll touch on the rest. So how do we fight this? Look at verse 3 with me. I believe that uh, verse 3 through 11 actually give us six different ways that we can fight this, but there may be more, but we're only going to look at six. Uh, I mentioned that to my wife earlier, and she's like, six points? That's not a Baptist sermon. What are you doing? Six points. I was like, well, it was actually closer to ten, but we'll leave it at six. Right? All right, so six points. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The first way we fight this is with the faith that we already have. You see, your faith is a gift. It's been given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And without that faith, of course, we're going to focus on all the bad and all the evil. But we have faith in Jesus. And when we have faith in Christ, we also have faith in His promises. And in the promises of Christ, when we have faith in them, fret and envy have no place. When you believe upon Jesus Christ, when you believe that He's going to do what He says He's going to do, and you trust Him, then you will not worry about this world. You will not worry about the things of this world. You will know that your reward is great in heaven. And you will know that your reward is Christ. That's what we want. That's what we desire. We want Christ. That's our reward. The wicked cannot stop that. The wicked cannot put that. They may be able to kill your body, but they cannot take that away from you. That faith is from Christ through the Holy Spirit. And see, this is something I'm really, really thankful that we're studying on how to study the Bible. Because that's where the promises lie. And do you want to increase your faith? then you're going to have to study the object of your faith. Read your word, understand the promises we've been given, and apply those to your life. Rest in those. Know that God is for your good. Know that He loves you. Know that, he, that this world is temporary, and we are going to be somewhere else where there will be no more tears and no more pain. Where we'll be in the presence of Jesus forever. And trusting in Him and doing all these things brings us to the next part, the next way we fight. Because when we trust in Jesus, when we dwell on Jesus, Jesus will become our joy. And we will be able to delight in Him. Look at verse 4 with me. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now I've heard this text preached wrongly so many times in my life. You guys, most of you know my background through the Word of Faith movement, and uh, where I just was all about them. I was all about them desires of the heart, right? You know, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delight in the Lord because he's going to give me a brand new truck and he's going to give me all these things and I'm going to be happy. You know, you do this, that's the charismatic thing. You got to shake your hands together, get them nice and warm. People know you're serious. But that's the thing. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about the temporal. It's not talking about these things that will fade. Delight yourself in the Lord. We delight in Him, not the things of this world. He is our joy. And when He is our joy, the things that we desire will be things that glorify Him. What we will desire is Him. You see, this truth stands even in the hardest times. Because sometimes your desires, church, are for good things. Maybe a single person desiring a spouse. Maybe a person not making very much money desiring a raise or a new job. Or my own personal desire would be for children. Because dang it, y'all have a lot of them, right? But my desire ultimately must be for the Lord. It must be for what He wants, His His will. We must perceive what is the will of God, and we must always be focusing on pleasing Him, not ourselves. And when He is our joy, when He is our desire, then all those things just fade away. We don't worry about them anymore. We don't think about them anymore. Sometimes we'll be tempted to, but we must go back to Christ and take, take comfort in knowing that He is our joy He is our treasure. It reminds me of Psalm 16, the very end. Psalm 16. Get there real quick. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hands are pleasure forevermore. You see, even when... We see these people who are lost, experiencing what we think is joy, what we think is pleasure. When we see these people who are wicked and evil gaining all of these things, or when the wicked and evil people are oppressing you and keeping you from gaining the things that you want, we have to remember that in His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I think I said that backwards, but that's okay. The truth's the same. We have to remember who He is. We have to remember where our source of joy comes from. And the next thing in verse 5, this is an interesting word, an interesting translation where it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You see, when we see the word commit, we automatically think like we're just... Well, this is just telling us to just be faithful to the Lord, right? Well, this is actually, that word would mean to roll upon the Lord. And that's weird, right? It's not language we use. We would roll this upon the Lord. It means that we will roll everything that we have on the Lord. Every doubt, every piece of of worry, every trouble, every burden, we roll onto the Lord. We give it to Him, all of it, every bit of it. Not just the stuff that's easy, right? Not the easy stuff, but the hard stuff, the dark stuff. The sins that we're struggling with, the envy we're struggling with, the pain, the suffering. We roll it upon the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. 
one of my absolute favorite verses in the entire Bible. I'll probably say that about every verse I quote today. But for real, one of my absolute favorites. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Give it all to Him. Every single bit of it. Every single bit of worry, every single bit of doubt, everything. Give it to Him. Because if you focus on the world, you focus on the things, you focus on your bank account, you focus on the sicknesses, you focus on all of that, and you will miss the point. You will miss the point that we serve a sovereign God who knows what He is doing. And He wants to take your burdens because He cares for you. Because He cares for you. Church, that should weigh heavy on us. That the God of the universe cares for me? The Bible describes me as a worm and a wretch. But He cares for me. Why does He care for us? Because He has taken our filthy rags and given us His righteous robes because He loves us. He loves us. We should rejoice in that every single day. Every single hour, every single minute, we should rejoice in the fact that He didn't destroy us, He saved us. And He did that because He loves us. And He says to cast your burdens on Me, cast all your anxieties and your cares on Me, because I care for you. Verse 7 tells us our next step. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him fret not yourself over the ones who prosper in his prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices you see as we believe on the lord and delight in the lord sometimes we get a little bit impatient right we expect that blessing, we expect those things to happen. Okay, Lord, I'm delighting in you. Two weeks go by. Month goes by. A couple years go by. And you haven't gotten what you've been praying for. The evil person is still in, in control of your life. You're, let's say, maybe a sibling who is just completely off the rails, is getting all the stuff that you want, and you're seeing all this happen. You're like, well, I kind of expected the Lord to destroy him and you know, raise me up. That's what I was looking for. But ultimately, we need to be still and wait patiently for Him. We have to know that He, in His timing, is going to do these things that He has promised. They're going to be in His timing, not our own. This is a reoccurring idea in this text. Verses 9 and 10 uh, say something similar. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Then you look carefully at his place, and he will not be there. Now, that throws a lot of people off when they hear just for a little while, because we are very impatient. And we hear a little while, we think, just a little while, right? We don't know how long a little while is, church. It could be a very long time, but the point is, you have a blessed inheritance. And the wicked doesn't. The wicked doesn't have that inheritance. They are going to be cut off. You are going to inherit the land. And here they're talking about 
the land that's promised that flows with milk and honey, but guess what? We're inheriting something much greater than that. We are going to go into the presence of the Father for all eternity. That's where we're going. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're looking for. But they are going to be cut off, thrown into the pit, out of the presence of God for all eternity. You see, this world is a very, very hard place to live, but it is only temporary. Wait on Him, church, because He is worth it. Christ is worth every minute of pain and suffering. Every bit of it. Because it makes us more like Him. It's worth it. So while we are waiting, we must remember to do so in joy and not in anger. And this is probably the hardest one. Verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Now guys, this could be anger towards these people who are doing these wicked things. But here's the really scary part. This could also mean anger towards God. Sometimes when we're waiting We're expecting these things to happen. We get the bad reports from the doctor. We get the phone call that we've been fired. All these things happen. We sometimes tend to get angry at God. And there's a place for lament. If you read the rest of the Psalms, it is full of lament. Lament is not a bad thing. But when we have anger towards our God because He is doing something that is actually for our good, we've just missed the point, that's dangerous. And that's scary. But it can also mean anger towards others. And I think most of the time, that's where we land. Because, man, we love to tear people up, right? We hate it when someone gets something we don't. We hate it when people are oppressed by these wicked people. And we get angry. And that's not how we're called to react. Because this anger, this wrath, it says it tends only to evil. We see evilness come out. We see that we want our vengeance. And that's not what we're called to. Romans 12, 19-21 Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will uh, heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome uh, by evil, but overcome evil with good. We must respond in love, not anger. And this is hard. This is a hard thing for us to do if we miss the point. And something I want to encourage you is that these people who are doing evil, these people who get the things that you want, remember what it said in the very first two verses, that they are going to fade away. That doesn't just mean their physical body, church. That means their soul will be condemned to hell. And that's exactly what they are. They are a soul. And that soul needs Christ. We're not supposed to get angry at them and wish bad on them and be like, yeah, you're going to get your wrath. I'm excited for it. No, we should be telling them about Christ and about the upcoming wrath. 
That's how we should be responding. Not with this, this anger and just malice towards these people and murmuring all the time and getting angry and complaining and getting on social media so someone will back you up with it or calling your best friend and say, can you believe what this fool did to me? Right? I'm guilty of that. I do that a lot. Right? And they're like, all right, let's go jump them. Let's go do it. That's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. No, let's pray for them. Let's pray for those who persecute us. Let's do that. And if you want to be a good friend, you don't need to be the guy that says, I'm going to go to jail for you, man. Like, I'm going to ride or die. I'm going to beat the crap out of this guy just for you. Don't be that, Sir Leo. Sir Leo, don't do it. All right? I see you back there. Don't do that. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. Be the friend who says, hey, stop. Let's pray. Let's pray for this person. Because they need Christ. They need salvation. And when you get to that point, anger will dissipate. Because you'll focus on the fact that, guess what? You were just, and sometimes are, just as wretched as that person. And you deserve the same hell that they deserve. But Christ. But Christ saved you. They need that same Christ. Now, the, the last way that we see kind of, I would say, almost pulls together all the rest. If you're going to fight this fret and envy, you have to be humble. You have to be humbled. Absolutely, 100% have to be. Verse 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And we've heard something very similar to this from Jesus in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Seems like the blessing just gets a little bit bigger, doesn't it? From the land to the earth. And we know what that means. To rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. We see this beautiful inheritance. But this should not create pride in us. It should make us humble. Why should it make us humble? Because we know we did nothing to deserve it. The faith was a gift. And see, if you're prideful, you're never going to be able to do any of these things. You're never going to be able to trust in the Lord. Because you know you can handle it yourself. Lord, just take me off the leash and let me do this. Right? If you're prideful, you're never going to make Him your delight and your joy. Ever. Because you know who your delight and your joy is? Yourself. You are never going to roll all your problems onto him because you're the problem solver, not Jesus. Ever. It's never going to happen. And you are always going to be angry because somebody has offended you. Because you are the main event. You are everything. Right? That's how we act. But that's not the people that are going to inherit the land. That's not the people that are going to inherit the earth. The meek, who are brought low because they know they're wretched, they know they're sinful, they know they don't deserve it, and they know they can't do anything apart from Christ. That's what we have to get to. That's the place we have to land. We have to. We have to land there because if we're not, then all of this stuff that we're doing is going to fail if we try to do it out of our own strength and our own power. Because guess what? You don't have any. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how many times you go to the gym. 
I don't care what your reputation is around here and how powerful you think you are. You have absolutely no power to overcome any of this. The only power you have is through the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You have no power. You have to remember who you are and remember who God is. Now, I'm not telling you to focus all your time on your wretchedness, right? Those would be some miserable people. Right? I don't want to come in here and say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just a filthy wretch. Woe's me. Everything's bad. I'm sinful. Let me confess to you right now. Wait a minute, right? I want you to say, yeah, I'm wretched, but Jesus is good. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That needs to be your theme, right? But as we do it, be humbled by that. Be humbled by that. And I do want to look at some of the other texts throughout here. Some of my favorites. That's I'm going to be. I'm going to pick and choose by my favorites because you know I've got a lot to choose from here. Uh, so, but I want to close by looking at, at some of the contrast between what happens to the wicked and what happens to the righteous. And I want to especially look at the texts uh, that are David's personal testimonies because those are some of the most beautiful ones. And it's towards the end, verses 25 through 29. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously to his children, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. This should make you jump for joy, church, that he will not abandon us, he will not forsake his saints. You are preserved forever. No matter what happens, no matter what injustice you experience, no matter what you see that's coming against you, you will be preserved forever. This is a big deal. This is important. It's a theme throughout all of Scripture. That you are going to be preserved because of Him, not because of you. Nothing can snatch you from the Father's hand. It doesn't matter how much wickedness comes against you. It doesn't matter what evil comes at you. It doesn't matter how many times you've prayed for something and the answer has been no. No many times that you pray that same prayer and the person who doesn't even know God gets that same thing. It doesn't matter because you have an inheritance. So don't stop doing good and try to be like them. That's a big point here. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. We're tempted sometimes to do these things. We're told all the time that nice guys finish last. Right? That's the, that's the mantra. I've got a, a, a boss who really loves to... I probably shouldn't say this. I have a coworker back here. But uh, who loves to lie about stuff to get ahead. 
And he always asked me to kind of like, hey, you want to you vouch for me on this? I'm like, hey, this ain't, ain't about that life, right? I'm going to walk away from that because I don't want to get fired, first of all. And secondly, but he, he does this all the time, and I realize, man, this guy makes a whole lot more money than I do. Maybe he's on to something. Maybe I should be lying about these things. Maybe I should be doing these things. But it's, it's not right. We don't want to stoop to their level. We continue to do good for his glory. For his name, for him. For the Lord loves justice and he will not forsake his saints. I also want to look at verses 35 through 40. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold, the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors, transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of dr- the trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I'm telling you, you guys know this, a lot of you about me. I, I like to prepare my uh, sermons at Starbucks. I have no idea why. Everybody asks me that after service, so don't even ask me because I don't know. I don't know why I go there. There's something about it. Uh, maybe it's just because I like to be distracted. I don't know. But I just sit there and I, and I prepare my sermons, and I always end up crying. I don't like it, but it happens, and it happened right here. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. That hit me so hard. That my salvation came from him in a moment when I didn't deserve it, in a moment of just vast evilness and wickedness. He saved me while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. When I think about all of this, it just, all of it weighed on me. All of it. And then I think, but not only that, the Lord helps me and delivers me from this wickedness, and he's going to save me from it because I'm going to take my refuge in him because he is my refuge. He is my refuge. And when I thought about this, I thought about a lot of the things going on in our country, in our church. I thought about a lot of the things going on around the world within the church universal There is so much pain. There is so much worry. Church, we are every day being bombarded with news of of martyrs, with news of, of school shootings and church shootings, and there's so much worry, so many things for us to worry about. So many things. The wicked, it seems to be taking over the world. We get so many reports of people who are hurting within our own body. And it's painful. No one's saying it's not painful. But we're saying to take your refuge in Him. Trust in Him. Delight in Him. Put your worries on Him. 
because without Him, we have nothing. We're not belittling your pain. We're not belittling, belittling the things that are happening because they're real. They're really happening. We see it every day. But guess what? This world is going to fade. The things of this world are going to perish. But you have an inheritance that will last for all eternity. And if you're here and you feel like, well, you know, I think I might fall more towards that wicked person category. And I don't know if I really have this kind of assurance that these things are going to happen. I want to encourage you to believe the gospel and repent of your sins. I'm not going to have an altar call. Not going to happen. I'm not going to have you come up here and repeat this little prayer with us. But I'm going to pray for you. There are many men in this church who would be willing to sit down and talk with you about the gospel. If you want to know more about the gospel, if you want to know more about this Savior who loves us and asks us to take refuge in Him, talk to us after service. We'd love to spend time with you. Remember, church, this world is wicked. This world is evil. But this world is also hurting and dying and needs a Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it stands true. It's infallible. Thank you for your spirit that illuminates the word. That teaches us the word. Thank you for a church that is faithful to the word. And help us to be a people who are faithful to your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name.